This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Kim Reynolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, Stanford, 7.30 Saturday nights. We're, we're expecting people, I don't know if I'd say a crowd, but expecting people to show up at a 7.30 start down in Stanford. Their attendance hasn't been great. There doesn't seem to be a lot of interest in this game. Had a chance to talk to our Stanford publisher. He asked, uh, I asked him what kind of a crowd he was expecting for Saturday and his first question is, how many fans is Washington bringing? Because that may be it. So should be a unique atmosphere down at Stanford with a 7.30 kickoff. But, Chris, we've talked about this all week long. This isn't the Stanford team we're typically used to seeing as we have the past seven, eight years. They're really young, and they're really beat up. They are really young, and they are really beat up. I, I was looking at their starters for their first game and then the starters for their last game that they played, and – you know, you can just tell, especially on the offensive line. I mean, you've got f- tre- true freshmen backing up true freshmen. Uh, on the defensive backfield, you've got a couple of guys that, that are brand new in there. Um, you know, it, it sounds like they're they're getting one or two guys back, so I'm sure that's going to be a plus for them. But, yeah, when you, when you look at the statistics and, and see that, you know, they're like 127th and third down, if, you know, defense and, you know, in passing there, I mean, it's just kind of crazy. I mean, they're giving up passes at like – you know, over 13 yards a catch, and, and Washington's less than 10 to, by comparison. So, there, yeah, there's just a ton of things going on. Um, and, again, the, you know, they, they dealt with this whole quarterback thing just like USC is dealing with it. You know, when you when you lose a guy that's been kind of an established guy in K.J. Costello, and now you bring in a guy who was incredibly heralded out of high school in Davis Mills, I remember – Everyone talking about him at the at the opening back in the day, and and he looked as good as any of those guys out there. And he comes in and plays very well against uh, Oregon State. But when you go up there and you have to squeak a, a three point win on a last second right. field goal, that's that that's not the Stanford team that we certainly have known the last few years. And Scott, when I talked to AJ yesterday, RJ, excuse me, um, about uh, Stanford's offensive line, they only have seven, seven. That's it. Yeah, um, yeah. And playing against a physical team like Washington, that's scary because not only is it a freshman getting hurt, but you're bringing in another freshman because they're listing in their two deeps a lot of guys at multiple positions, but they only have seven. Yeah, and and when you talk about their two deeps, you have a true freshman starting in front of a true freshman who is the backup. So, yeah, it's it's kind of ugly over there now. I mean, they've got some talent on that side of the ball. They're just – I, or along the offensive line, but they just are walking wounded, like you like you've said. And you also talk about how this is not the Stanford team we're used to. Well, we're used to. I mean, Kim, you were always down on the sidelines a little longer than I am because you're down there the whole game. When Stanford would come up to the University of Washington and be on the field, uh, maybe even during warmups, we would walk over and those guys were just towering over everybody. That isn't the kind of 
guys we're seeing for them now. You know, they're bringing in three-star guys. And and I know Walker Little and Foster Sorrell were two of the top players in the country when they came out. When did that? When when did they sign? In in 2016, 2017, whatever it was. And um, those guys just haven't, you know, Walker Little hasn't been able to stay healthy. Foster Sorrell hasn't been able to stay healthy. And he's finally back to, I think he's played every game this year. But, um, yeah, it's it's not pretty along their offensive line. Yeah, the injury bug has really played havoc, you know, with Foster. And we talked a little bit about Connor Weddington, the former Washington commit from Sumner, who's playing a big role, probably, you know, one of their top two playmakers on that roster. But Connor Weddington's been beat up quite a bit as well, Scott. Yeah, he, he was a guy who came in. I think he showed up there as a running back, and they moved him out to wide receiver. Right. And, you know, they've got, they've got some some. Play- players out there at wide receiver but Connor Weddington like you said has been playing a huge role for them I think he's third on the team in receptions and um you know uh yeah third on the team in receptions 25 for 214 yards and a touchdown but Michael Wilson's really their guy outside 19 receptions 266 yards and three touchdowns that's kind of their that's kind of their big play guy he's at 14 yards per per catch they're just not getting down the field very much when they're throwing the ball and it's Chris, when we talk about Stanford, we're used to one place I think that uh, they haven't uh, taken a slide back, and that's a tight end. They've known, been known for having quality tight ends for a long time, and they have one in Colby Parkinson where, you know, I remember seeing him at the opening and just, wow, you know, because he's just so big and so athletic, but at times, and I've mentioned this, he looks like a basketball player playing football, but he's definitely uh, a big-time talent down there. Yeah, and you usually assume Stanford's going to have at least two to three stud tight ends on their team at any one time, and and this is not a knock on on the guys behind Colby Parkinson, guys like Tucker Fisk or Scooter Harrington, and guys like that. But you know, these, this is not the days of like Zach Ertz and Colby Fleener running around and and that kind of stuff. But Parkinson, you know, six seven. We talked a lot about the jump ball offense that USC was running with Matt Fink uh, last couple weeks. Well, you know. All Davis Mills has to do is really just kind of throw it up to Colby Parkinson, and at six seven, he's going to come down with it more times than not. And so, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what uh, Jimmy Lake does in terms of trying to bracket Colby Parkinson and try to maybe take him out of the game and and force guys like Michael Wilson that Scott was talking about, um, guys like Osiris St. Brown, Amon St. Brown's uh, younger brother uh, or older brother, excuse me, and then um, you know. See if those guys can make a difference. Cole, you know, Connor Weddington, we did talk about. It. I mean, he's doing double damage receiving end in the kick return game. So he's an athlete that they certainly have to be aware of. But if they can take Colby Parkinson really out of the game and limit him to, let's say, you know, four catches for 50 yards or something like that, I think that would be a, a job well done for Washington. And, Scott, they're in the running game. I mean, they've got big guys on the offensive line, not inexperienced, but their running back, I think, is just, yeah, okay. He's, I think he's just a guy in Brandon Scarlett. And he's, is he out of uh, – he's from Portland, I believe. Yeah, he's from Central Catholic um, right. High School. And he's the younger brother of Brendan Scarlett, who was a D-end at, um, at Cal, I believe. So – um, you know, he's a he's a good player. He also uh, tore up his knee, I think, as a freshman, was it, Chris? Or maybe a senior year of high school, whatever it was. And uh, 
he's not a dynamic runner. You know what we've been used to uh, for Stanford the past several years with, um, you know, McCaffrey and uh, I'm drawing a blank on the other guy that just graduated. But um, Bryce Love. Yeah, Bryce Love. Yeah. So those two guys were so dynamic and those guys got in the open field and you just weren't going to catch those guys. And Brennan Scarlett, or I'm sorry, Cameron Scarlett isn't that kind of a runner. He's a run between the tackles guy. Keep the chains moving. He's only averaging 4.4 yards per carry. Those guys were averaging five and a half or more. Uh, during their time at at uh, Stanford, he also only has one touchdown. So that means they're not really running the they're not able to run the ball very much inside the five inside the ten yard line. And that was something we saw a ton from Stanford over the past you know decade or so. So um, you know their running game. I I really like Austin Jones. That was a guy Washington was after pretty heavily. He's only got 14 carries for 86 yards and a touchdown. I think this is a game where we're going to see him get a lot more carries. Right now, uh, Cameron Scarlett has 94 carries to Austin Jones' 14. I wouldn't be surprised to see Austin Jones with more carries before the end of this game. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase Purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. When you take a look at Washington's offense versus Stanford's defense, I think Washington's offense has yet to explode. Um, I think they have a chance this week against Stanford because they got maybe one guy over there, but boy, there's nobody on that um, Stanford defense that really, you know, you fear like we've seen with uh, even BYU and USC, but uh, we're used to seeing, you know, honors candidates along their defensive line. They just don't have them. Well, I, I, I don't know about the defensive line so much. I mean, you do look at guys like Michael Williams, um, Javon Swan. I mean, those guys have been around. I mean, those guys have, have been very experienced and have seen a lot of things. Um, I would say Casey Tuhill, the the outside linebacker, 6'4", 250, I think he's going to remind a lot of people of a you know of a um, Evan Weaver type. I don't think he necessarily goes sideline to sideline quite in the way that a guy like Weaver will. But Tuhill is a guy that's extremely active, and you got to watch out for him. And, and then you're talking about two seniors in Robinson and Pritz in the in the middle. I think it's it sounds like it's kind of ironic in the sense that the the two senior linebackers inside linebackers for Stanford are kind of mirroring how Washington fans are feeling about the two inside linebackers at Washington and talking about Kyler Manu, Brandon Wellington. It sounds like Stanford fans are kind of not so much disillusioned, but they're kind of feeling the same way. Uh, but, you know, Paulson Adebo at cornerback, not only one of the top cornerbacks in the Pac-12, but one of the best in the country. But you're talking about Caillou Kelly, a true freshman that's had to take over a little bit. Um you know, they just aren't as dynamic in the back as they maybe they have been a little bit in the past. But you're right. I mean, the star power for this defense, just not there as, as it may have been in the past. And they're not uh, they're not stopping anybody. I mean, like I said, third down, third down defense. I mean, literally one of the worst in the country. And, and it's just something that's very unstanford like big game for Hunter Bryant, Scott. That's that could be something we could see. Yeah, well, I mean, they've they've got uh, a lot of backups playing playing it at at, sa- at the safety spots, and 
Um, I, I honestly think Hunter Bryant should be your most targeted guy every game. And I've said that from the beginning, from the moment he arrives at the University of Washington, he should get the most targets of any player because he's the one who presents the best mismatch for Washington offensively, especially at the receiver slash tight end position. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if you see them use the middle of the field quite a bit because like, uh, you know, uh, Fetters talked about, you know, they, they've got um, – the the cornerback I'm totally I've totally lost his name uh, that you were talking about number eleven um, you know he's a big time guy Paulson Adebo you know he's a big time guy outside I think uh, Aaron Fuller and Andre Bocelli whoever he's locked up on are probably going to be a non factor so really it's going to be I think the secondary uh, option for uh, Eason and could this be the game that we see Austin Osborne break out with a few catches because he's a guy that is now listed in the two deeps. And I think that he could see some, some throws his way. If, if, if the, uh, if the Stanford guys are able to lock down the two outside guys. And what I'm seeing too is the offensive line. I don't think has been given enough credit this year. I think they're playing at an extremely high level right now. And I think they're going to be able to run the ball pretty easily um, against Stanford's, uh, defensive line and I think we'll probably see Sean McGrew get a few more carries he only had two versus USC I think you'll see a little bit more of Sean McGrew and a little bit more of that three-head monster and I'm expecting to see a run heavy game against Stanford yeah uh Chris I don't know if you know um Andrew Pritz is that how you say his name Pritz? yeah, yeah um, Pritz. he he's uh he's a converted safety right if I remember correctly, I, I'd have yeah. to go back and look. Yeah, so I mean, and he's playing more of a more of an outside role, but man, I, I think you can run at that guy. I don't think he's used to playing right there in the box, and I think Washington should be able to make some hay on the ground. But I think through the air is where they're really going to make their their way uh, this this week. I think um, that Stanford probably sees the fact that they could probably lock down some of Washington's receivers who even Husky fans think are a little on the average side. So um, maybe they pack the box and say, hey, if you're going to beat us, you're going to have to beat us throwing the ball down the field and we'll take our chances. We'll see. Yeah, and I and I just think that you know, with the play action, if they're going to try to walk, lock down Washington's receivers and not respect the run, Washington's offensive line is good enough just to – you know, like Keith Gilbertson said, run the same play six times in a row until they stop it. You know, and I, I could see that happening. And I think the, once they get that running game established, the um, play action is just going to kill them. I just don't think, you know, as much like BYU, because I think BYU is a more talented team than Stanford. But the one thing that really stood out against the, like the BYU, they didn't have the athletes to keep up with Washington. They just didn't. And I don't see the athletes at Stanford to be able to stay uh, close to Washington at this point. I think it's just a situation, guys, where you know Stanford is 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 historically not wanted to go up tempo. They don't want to. They're not really dependent on speed and all those types of things. They have had obviously some really good athletes in the past, but yeah, when you don't necessarily have the premium athletes that you've had in the past, and then you combine that with the tempo that they run this offense typically they're not going to go up tempo they're not going to try to like just bury you into the ground with play after play after play they're going to want to ball control they're going to want to move the chains i think this is a great uh, situation for washington to be in because washington can actually use their ground game to ball control 
and then have the play action and and look and have Jacob Eason scan the field and find open players. I think this is that's an easy blueprint. It's a time tested one where you just you just play it like Kim said, just keep running the ball until they can stop it. And then once they've shown that they are making adjustments, then you counter off of that and you play the chess game. And Chris, you've been down to Stanford enough times to know that um, it may be the weirdest atmosphere of any stadium I've ever been in. Um, they took it down from, you know, 100,000 or 92,000 at, um, at the stadium, which it once was. And now it's about 40,000. It's all stainless steel, aluminum bleachers and um Boy, just not a lot of people show, and I'd say about half that show are on their phone the entire time, and then they leave at halftime, and by the end of the game, there's more seagulls than fans in the seat. Well, it, there, there's no doubt. Chris Peterson said it was he calls it a very unique environment. He's uh, he he showed a lot of respect to them on Thursday in terms of his comments and and the the admiration that he holds not for the way not for just the way that they run their program, but for David Shaw and what he's been able to accomplish. And there's no question that Stanford has the most unique environment in the Pac-12 because of the academic situation, the way they run their school. The fact is is that every single football player on that team, you have to assume, is, is a self-starter, doesn't need to have energy fueled into them. They are gonna, they're going to figure it out on their own. Um, they're going to understand the situation and, and respond accordingly, whereas a lot of teams that go in there aren't really sure how to deal with it. And so it, it, it is a it is a it is a home field advantage in a very weird way, and Washington's going to have to account for that and understand it. And even Peterson said that you know you've got you've got to try to prepare for it and and get them acclimated to it as best as you can. I'm not sure how you do that, but one thing I did notice, Kim is on Thursday when I went to talk to Peterson, typically on a week, especially in a way week, you'll hear sirens, you'll hear music, you'll hear it all the way out on the field, up the tunnel to where we are in the team meeting room. Uh, Thursday, you really didn't hear much of that at all. I thought that was very telling. I, you know, Obviously, they're not expecting a ton of noise, but I'd be very curious to see what other things that they tried to do to really get these guys in, in a frame of mind where they were maybe a little uncomfortable trying to deal with that environment. I'm not sure how you simulate it. Is the tree the most annoying mascot there is? Why is he annoying? Or she? Uh-huh. Or it? <laughs> I, don't, I don't Why? I didn't know. It seems to me like it's the tr- most unassuming mascot of all. That's funny. You well, the tree it, had a gender. That's funny. So, so, so my, my question is this. What's the most annoying touchdown celebration sound out there because that horn that they have there now granted i went to the game back in 2011 where stanford scored 65 on washington so that horn went off a lot that was the most annoying sound i've ever heard it's not as bad as the the uh, i don't know chainsaw at uh at at corvallis or some of these other ones but man that was absolutely brutal well yeah. i was gonna say though but if you if you pulled the rest of the Pac-12 and asked them what they thought of Washington's air raid siren, what would you think they'd say about that? Oh, they love it. They <laughs> love it when it goes off. There you go. <laughs> Washington is pure and clean as a, as new snow. Come on. Yeah, another interesting thing to keep an eye on this game is um, 
you know, Chris and Scott, some guys that could possibly play in their fifth game as um, and burn their red shirts. Anybody we need to keep an eye on? There's two, uh, Leatu Latu, the outside linebacker, and then Asa Turner, the safety. If those guys play, then they will have burned their red shirts. So that would have put the number at six, if I remember correctly. So you got you would have Latu, you'd have Asa Turner, you'd have Tim Horn, the place kicker, who's been doing all the kickoffs. And then you would have the two uh, defensive backs, Cameron Williams, and you would have Trent McDuffie. Trent McDuffie. And then there was also, who's the other one? There's one other one. Trent so wide receiver, Puka? Uh, yeah, Puka Nakua, correct. So those would be the six. And, yeah, just so, something to keep an eye on. Yeah, it's going to be yeah. interesting to see if, if any of the defense, other defensive linemen, because there are a host of defensive linemen, that have played guys like Fatui Tuatele, um, Noah Ngalu, Sama Paama, they've played. And then also uh, Alfonso Tupatala has played at least a game, maybe a couple games at the linebacker spot. So there, there's a handful of guys. They could maybe even get up as high as 10 that they could use. But um, it's I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. And then, of course, Ty Jones. It's going to be really interesting to see because Chris Peterson did say Thursday that he is full speed, he's been practicing, and they're going to you know, get him going and see what he's going to do the next few games here. And then based on how he responds to that, they'll determine whether or not they're going to redshirt him because he does have a redshirt year available. And just real quick, from what I'm hearing, Ty Jones wants to redshirt, so I'm anticipating him uh, redshirting. And, Chris, when I'm uh, when I on the field um, early, um, I will get you uh, a list of everybody who's there so we can see who's traveling. This is only the second road game Washington has played. You could travel more for a non-conference game like they did at BYU, but the, who you can travel for the conference game tightens up a little bit. So we'll make sure and get you guys um, the list of uh, maybe guys that, uh, you know, deeper in the depth chart that are traveling. So I don't want to. I don't want to derail the conversation. But is, is there? A re- do you guys have any idea of the reason for that ruling where you can't bring as many guys? Is it just to keep those those teams that maybe might not have um, the bigger budgets? Some of those smaller market schools that don't have as big of budgets as like you know, like Washington or Stanford or some of these other schools that can travel everybody all the time. Why, why do they do that? As far as I know, it's budget stuff, okay. and it's and it's something from a. It's one of those things I think that was put in place a long, long, long time ago, and it's never just never been changed. Hey guys, real real quickly, I would also say, Kim, with that list that you're talking about that you're gonna put out later uh, when you get to the game, I was gonna add to Jacob Kaiser, the tight end, is a guy that did dress. And was ready. It looked at least ready to go. He was warming up against USC, so he's going to be another guy to see if he comes out and if he plays at all. Because that's a guy, you know, the tight end has been. They've been a little thin. They've they've had to bring in guys like Jack Westover to do some things. Devin Culp is starting to round into form in terms of getting into game shape and what have you. So. Getting a guy like Jacob Kaiser back in the mix would be absolutely huge, especially in a game like this where you know Stanford's going to try to impose themselves and try to get physical. Hey, Chris, I, I don't know if I'm 100% sold that he uh, is is not going to redshirt. I'm not, I, I don't know. I haven't asked around and, and where, where things are leaning, but I know that with Hunter Bryant likely gone after this season and the possibility of Kate Otten leaving following next season, um, I think 
think Washington might want to redshirt him and, and maybe have him in the fold for, for a little bit longer. I, I mean, that's just uh, a, a thing to consider. Well, it's, it's a good point, Scott. And th- that means that well, – because basically Ty Jones and Jacob Kaiser are in the same boat. They both did not redshirt their freshman years, so they have it available if they want it. You've basically your this will this will be the midpoint of the season in terms of number of games. So now you're really getting up against it to determine whether or not you want to, you know, play the last six, maybe even play a, a title game, get into a bowl game, that kind of thing. And this is, you know, people have to remember they still can play up to four games. So this is not to say that Jacob Kaiser couldn't make a difference like Apple Cup, possibly a Pac-12 title game bowl game whatever these guys can still make a difference in some games they but they can't play more than four and so that's where they're going to have to really determine whether or not they want to use this year because right now they're kind of right on the cusp right on the line of whether or not it uh it makes sense for them to do so it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Scott, anything to update on the recruiting front? Well, I think the biggest thing is that uh, we are down in to numbers like two to four right now is is what we're hearing uh, as far as how much they're going to take. That could be twenty two to twenty four guys. And uh, with Savelle Smalls committing last weekend, that was a huge get for the Huskies. I don't see anything happening now, uh, at least with the twenty twenty class until. If not late November, then even into December. Um, but uh, we could see some movement on 2021 guys because Washington has really turned their focus to 2021 and 2022 guys. Uh, interesting. Um, God, I'm spacing on his first name. Kale Millen's little brother got offered by Arizona last night. Yeah, Clay Millen. And he's having a really good season. I've heard from a lot of people that he is much further along than Kale was at this point in his career. He's still got a few years left there. And um, he doesn't have the dynamic wide receiver that uh, Kale had in Johnny Barrett, who was, in my opinion, one of the best receivers to ever come out of this state. I mean, he put up unimaginable numbers uh, over there for them, and he was a big guy. Um, can't remember where he went. I want to say it was Eastern, but I can't remember exactly. I thought where he went he Ivy went. League. Maybe went Ivy League, yeah. Um, but absolute stud wide receiver. Well, Clay doesn't have that, and he's really having to make it work with with guys who might not ever play college football, or if they're going to play their Division three or Division two guys. So, um, you know, he, he's getting it done over there, and uh, I'm actually, uh, you know, planning to see them at some point here in the next couple weeks, and and I'm uh, looking forward to it. Final thoughts, Chris Fetters. Well, just again, you know that when they look at the 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 odds on this game and it, what is it now like i think it started at 14 but now it's 16 and a half 17 whatever it is it's ridiculous because if you had been in a time machine and all of a sudden you know let's let's talk about that 2010 2011 uh stanford run and all of a sudden you'd find out in 2019 washington would go to stanford and they'd be 16 17 point favorites you'd laugh but uh, things have really changed 
And I don't know what it is because David Shaw is a heck of a good coach. But when you talk about the injuries, when you talk about maybe some of their recruiting misses, when you talk about you know some of the other things that's happening with their roster, it's just crazy to think that they've got freshmen following freshmen on the offensive line. That used to be, they just used to roll guys through like crazy there. And then you add the numbers on the defense, they just don't add up. So Washington should should win this game. I'm not saying they should necessarily win it handily, but they should win it by at least a couple touchdowns, and, and that's really saying something because that'll tell you a lot more to me about where Stanford is right now than necessarily where Washington is. Scott Eklund, final thoughts? Um, I You know, for me, uh, I just echo what uh, Chris Chris said. It's, it's amazing to see um, Stanford's fall from grace right now, and, and honestly – I thought this was going to happen a little bit earlier, and it didn't because they were able to to uh, recruit well and stuff. But like Chris said, they had the, the recruiting misses. They've also had um, some of their top coaches leave to take other jobs or um, the uh, strength and conditioning coach also left. So, um, you know, they, they're really struggling right now. And I, I think some of it has to do with injuries, but some of it just has to do with a lack of talent. And Washington needs to take advantage of this. They haven't won down there since 2007. The he who shall not be named uh, was the head coach at that point in time. And and uh, I think this is Washington's best chance to get off the schneid down there on the farm. I think Washington gets a big win this weekend. Hey, Chris, real quick. Do you think I'll run into Tyrone in the, in the press box? Why not? I mean, that's <laughs> they don't don't they let up the women's assistant golf coaches up there? I'll make sure and say Chris better says hi. You do? But, no, please. <laughs> Absolutely. Send in my best. <laughs> hey, your, right. your, eyes, your eyes are as good as mine. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, talk to a lot of people. We hear a lot of things. One of the things I heard earlier in the week is uh, don't be surprised if you see the young wide receivers uh, get a lot more time. So keep an eye on Puka Nakua, Austin Osborne. It could be uh, a little bit of a breakout party for those. Not expecting a big-time atmosphere at Stanford and then uh, the following week at Arizona. Just a reminder, Scott and Chris will be on Sports Radio 950 KJR a little bit later today starting at 3 o'clock. And they are the warm-up act for the Husky Honks. So tune in right around 3. Right around 3, I think a lot of that's going to have to do with the end of the football game that will be broadcast beforehand. But right around 3 o'clock and again Wednesday night. 620-ish on every Wednesday night on Sports Radio 950 KJR throughout the season. Um, Just a reminder, Basketball Media Day on Tuesday. I will be in San Francisco covering that. Have a chance to talk to Coach Hopkins and some of the other coaches around the Pac-12. And uh, Anyways, for all of us at Dogman.com, I'm Kim Grenolds with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go Dogs! Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.